I'm Kevin Boyd, and this is But Wait, There's More, a conversation show about things we're thinking about, things we care about, and things that are important to the life and culture of the people of Legacy Church in Plano. And today, we're having a conversation show about the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm here with Zach Forbes. Hey, Zach. Hello, Kevin. Hey, man. Thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, you kind of were the beginning of this, uh, you were deep in some study and, and were sharing it with me and I'm excited for you to share with us today, but in case someone doesn't know you well, or doesn't know your family, how long have you guys been at Legacy Church? So I personally grew up with Legacy, so I've been here for 26 years now. Oh my goodness. Um, my wife, Jamie, uh, has been here for seven years. We've been married for seven years. So, um, yeah. And we have two kids, two kids, one shepherd. He's almost three. And our daughter, Felicity, was almost one. Almost is really important at this stage. They want <laughs> to count right. every day, every month. Well, I feel like uh, emotionally he's he's more of a three-year-old to us than a two-year-old, so that's why I always lean towards that. But well, At least you're not like he's 276 weeks old. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we passed that, we that passed milestone a long time ago. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know how many years 276 weeks is. but uh, We'll count probably, after this. Yeah, it's probably yeah. more than three. Um, and you guys are serving in various areas in the church. I know your church mm-hmm. leadership team. Yep. And you guys serve in kids ministry. What do you do over there? So the kids ministry, I am with the three and the four-year-olds. Awesome. And I love it over there. And Jamie just started with the uh, second and third graders. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for that. Yeah. Uh, So today we're talking mostly about Ecclesiastes, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's widely known and regarded as the most uplifting book in the Bible, right? Of course, yeah. Yes. I always I read it every morning just to lift me up. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is an interesting uh, place to start, and I'm curious. Uh, this kind of this conversation today was birthed out of a personal study you were doing. What mm-hmm. drove you to Ecclesiastes in the first place? Well, I feel like Ecclesiastes is always an intriguing book to me. It's one of the wisdom literature books, uh, right? And it just sort of has a reputation. If you've if you never read it, um, like we've already joked about, it's it can be depressing. Yeah. Uh, maybe bleak is also a good word for it, um, but it's is wisdom, and right, it's in it's in the Bible, so it's kind of intriguing to me. Of okay, so you know, what is God trying to tell us here? Why is this so bleak? What is the real message behind this book? So that's what intrigues me and what makes me curious. I got a bad reputation early on at Legacy. I came in fall of 2013, and for my first summer, summer of 14. I decided to do a study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And oh, people yeah. are going, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> it's summer. What's the problem here? Summer but depression is real. Summer depression is real. Yeah. But there, there's also a lot a lot of good, a lot of wisdom, as mm-hmm. you say, but some hopeful messages as well in the book of Ecclesiastes. Absolutely, yeah. So let's get into the book. Um, chapter 1, verse 1, it just says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the beginning of Ecclesiastes. Who who are we dealing with, and, and why is he writing? Yeah, so I think it's important to understand there's actually two people kind of going on um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? So we have the author, um, who's kind of mentioned in verse 1, and then throughout the rest of the story is the teacher. Um, and the teacher uh, is sometimes, I mean, you can probably provide some more commentary on that, but usually maybe considered King Solomon, um, or somebody else of that kind of stature. Um, personally, I believe it would be King Solomon just because of the, the um, power and the, the money and the kingship and the ability to do all these things that go on in Ecclesiastes that we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but that's kind of what I see. But the author is almost just introducing this character to us and then at the end provides just a few 
few verses to kind of summarize what the teacher has been talking about and kind of give an, uh, a hopeful message yeah, at right. the end, right? It's not it's not all depressing, right? That's right. Uh, so yeah, anything but, anything to add? Yeah, on there's. That? I mean, I agree. I think you're right. There's two main characters, two voices that we hear. Yeah. One is is that of the teacher, um, and and the Hebrew word that's used, kohelet, for teacher, is one who gathers the people. And there's a lesson being learned here. Uh, through this person's life, uh, their experiences, the things they tried, the things they invested themselves in, mm-hmm. and not all of it worked, and we're meant to learn from this person's life. Uh, the word wisdom is used a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's uh, much of the point, is, is finding a life that is wise, a life under the sun, and ultimately mm-hmm. uh, a life uh, with God and a life that's that's marked by wisdom. So for a lot of reasons, we think it's Solomon. We think it's Solomon because the experiences we'll read about with the teacher uh, or the one we're learning our lessons from match a lot of the life and the qualities of life that Solomon had, someone who could have done all the things that this person did uh, and as well kind of meets the demands of being a son of David. Uh, mm-hmm. And as well, he is someone who is known uh, to be associated much with the word wisdom. So a lot of boxes are checked. We think it's we think it's most certainly about him. Mm-hmm. And then that other voice, the author voice, uh, if people like to argue, that's a fine way for them to spend their days. Yeah. Um, it could be that it is another son of David writing about his brother. It could be that it's a son of a son, a grandson of David writing back about his dad or his uncle Solomon. Um, but... Uh, a, a good a number of people also might agree that it's simply Solomon is both voices. He is both the one mm. uh, writing, observing, and commenting uh, on the life of the one uh, who we're learning from. So he might be both the character and uh, the author at the same time. Yeah, And I mean, that can be up for debate if that's the best way to spend time. But there are other ways to spend time, like what are the lessons that we're meant to learn here? Uh, you talked about a lot of different key words that kind of take us through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. What are some of the themes that are highlighted? Yeah, well, I think the <clears throat> the first theme really starts off in that second verse, you know, the, the uplifting message of the teacher. Everything is meaningless, right? I mean, right away you can tell this is a little bit of a bleak, depressing book just by that statement. What do you mean everything is meaningless? Um, there's got to be something, right? And uh, what kind of intrigues me about that is I've, I've heard a couple different sermons, you know, just kind of explaining that word and you kind of dive into the definition of meaningless and, you know, it says having no meaning or significance, having no purpose or reason. Well, that kind of sounds obvious, having no meaning, it's meaningless. But I know you brought up a translation that says the word vanity, yeah. right? And so vanity is the quality of being worthless or futile. So we're getting a little bit, a little bit deeper into it. But the actual Hebrew word is hevel. And that one has always stuck with me. Um, and I love that word. Uh, it stands for vapor, smoke, uh, fog. Um, so, you know, we had, um, we get some fog around here in Plano, but not, not a ton. Um, but I'm originally from Nova Scotia in Canada and we just get like the thickest fog. <laughs> like you can't see a foot in front of you. And I always love the fog. I don't know what it is that fascinates me about the fog, but you can't see. And then, you know, eventually throughout the day that the sun just begins to poke through and you can you can start to see things and make sense of it. But the thing about fog or smoke or vapor is you can't grab a hold of it. Yeah. I don't know the last time you tried to grab smoke, Kevin, but you can't you can't <laughs> grab it with your time. hands. Oh, yeah. It's like a daily Still practice <laughs> yeah. in the one morning. One day. One day you <laughs> might get it. But it, it changes shape. It, it can't be grabbed. It's uh, You can't understand 
where it's going. The wind takes it this way. The wind takes it that way. And it's temporary. And it's temporary. Yeah. Uh, like a, a mist or a vapor is there and then it's gone. Uh, you can even feel some of the effects if you walk through a, a thick fog. You might feel a little mm-hmm. damp, um, but you're not, you're going to be dry pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it doesn't stay with you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, what's interesting is I think Hevel brings a little bit more um, to light of the teacher's words because he's talking about, you know, I try to invest my life in work. I try to invest my life in um, relationships. I try to invest my life in the pleasures of life, food and, and different things like that. And he just says it's all Hevel. And it just helps to kind of understand that um, all these things, they just, it's hard to grasp it. It's temporary. It just goes away. It doesn't satisfy. So I, I really like that word Hevel used yeah. in Ecclesiastes. It's a lot of paradox in that word because you, it's, it's a something that's a nothing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Is it something? But it is, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so Ecclesiastes, everything is Hevel. Mm-hmm. Is this an uplifting book? Is it positive? Is it negative? Should a person want to read it? I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it starts negative, okay, right? Um, which I think is why it has a reputation. But I think the more you study it, um, the more positive it becomes, the more uplifting that it can become if you dive into it and really think about it. It's kind of like if you were asleep and somebody decided to wake you up all of a sudden and now your eyes are open. I mean, that's probably going to be unpleasant at first. But the more you kind of get exposed to the light, the more you see the message and the wisdom that is trying to be shared, the more you become comfortable with it and see the positive side okay. of things. So you're talking about having a, an appropriate relationship or attitude towards Hevel that helps you mm-hmm. address the Hevel. Talk about a little bit that. What should be our attitude towards Hevel? Yeah, well, I think the ultimate goal of Ecclesiastes is kind of to bring us to a place of humility. So we hear the the teacher is kind of just constantly shooting down different things, work, relationships, um, all the different pleasures of life that we chase. And he really shoots that down to a place, and I think it's to bring us to a place of humility that we are not in control of anything. Uh, we like to think we are. Yeah. We like we like to try to grab at smoke uh, every morning, but it doesn't work. And the only thing we can really control, though, is our attitude toward that hevel. So what kind of attitude? can we have? What is health healthy in the midst of all this hevel? I think part of it is accepting that there is hevel and not denying it. And that kind of goes back to that opening your eyes for the first time and being able to see that, okay, I'm not in control. Okay. It is hevel. It is kind of, it's something, but it's nothing, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to grasp. Um, so I, I really like that. And I think a second point would be that there's also uh, chapter three, which I think is probably the more popular chapter that gets preached about is there's a time for everything. Mm, yeah. So there's song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 60 song about that. Oh yeah. 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 Not familiar with it, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a time for being happy. There's a time for being sad. There's even a time for being mad. Um, there's a time for life and a death and all these different things that happen in our life. There's a time for these things. And I think that kind of goes to, you know, God, God showed us to have emotion and uh, like being mad, right? Um, A lot of times we try to avoid these things, but I think there's something healthy about using the emotions that God's given us um, in a healthy way and kind of, in a kind of approaching that hevel uh, in that regard. But 
Uh, what are your thoughts on what a healthy attitude would be? Well, first I'd say a healthy attitude from all of our listeners who were uh, alive in, in 1959 when Pete Seeger uh, wrote the song for the birds, <laughs> Turn, Turn, Turn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got mad respect for you. That's the, the song I was referencing. Um, I, I think there is probably something to to pinpoint for each of us a little deeper when we talk about the Hevel, uh, and that is that we're really talking about life apart from God, mm-hmm. um, life apart from perfection. Uh, what is life after uh, the fall in, in, in Genesis 3? Um, because in the Garden of Eden, I think there was probably more substance to the experiences for however long that moment was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is life being lived apart from God. When when Eve and Adam said, we'll eat of this fruit and we will be like God, that's, that's the beginning of heaven. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about um, a meaninglessness or a vapor to trying to uh, have a valuation of life and what it offers apart from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can experience a little of of the dampness of the fog, but it, it doesn't stay with you. It doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy if what you're needing is a good soak. And, mm-hmm. and so it's understanding that attitude towards the Hevel. Um, and, and we come to this as we move through this, uh, is that life apart from God um, and the way God intends to, to bless the days of our life and the things he gives us to meet the needs of our life Mm-hmm. There's, you know, it has to be put in its appropriate place. All of the time, all of the things, all of the ambitions and the goals, yeah, um, they're only of value as God intends them of value to us, and in the way that He intends for it. Yeah. Yes. I think you bring up a good point. Like life is heavy and life is hard. Yes. Right. Uh, God didn't promise us an easy life, and I think with all these different types of heavy, um, we try to distract ourselves. Yeah. We chase the fogs. So at one point we'll chase work and work won't satisfy us. Rather than switching to God, we decide, mm, what about uh, Netflix? Mm. I'm going to binge watch this show. What about uh, video games or what about hanging out with friends or really spending time with one relationship, whether it's family or friend. And we just constantly, constantly go through these cycles of chasing Hevel, uh, having that substance without God. And I think that shows that in Ecclesiastes. And like you said, there's um, really only one thing that is tangible, and that, that is God, right? And being able to experience him and being able to feel that. Yeah, and in Ecclesiastes 1.14, uh, this idea of chase is what stands out. It says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are, this word, meaningless, hevel. Mm-hmm. And then he says, a chasing after the wind. And our lives are so often so much marked by the concept of, of chase. What am I chasing after? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it makes you think about if you're chasing something, you're trying to get it. You're trying to obtain it. And so with all of these, these chases, there's an end that we're looking for. There's a desire that's needing to be met. There's a, a thing that we think that we must have. There's a craving. Yeah that it's seeking to be satisfied. And, you know, according to this verse 14, uh, the author, the teacher, uh, says all the things done under the sun, chased them all. And, and certainly Solomon would have been someone who, who chased them all with greater wealth than the world had known and, um, and 
the numbers of, of relationships that he had uh, with women and with family and alliances and, and enemies and, mm-hmm. and all, all sorts. He went in every direction and he would have used all of the power that was afforded to him uh, in this chase. So much more uh, resources available in that chase than, than I'll ever know. Yeah, same here. And so even with that, he says, and none of my cravings were fully satisfied. Mm-hmm. And I love that you brought up the chasing with the wind because that does pop up a few times in Ecclesiastes, this phrase, chasing the wind. And as you brought that up, I was kind of thinking that um, wind changes directions, right? So if the wind is going north and we're running after it and all of a sudden the wind is like, hey, I'm going to start going south and then you're, you're turning, you're chasing, it's just constantly changing, right? So I think um, what's important for us in our walk is to stop chasing yeah, for a moment and think about, where, what is my purpose in all this? Let me ask you about that. So stop chasing for a moment. It can be taken a couple of different ways. Sure. You think of words of like meditation or solitude. And there's Eastern thought that that stopping is so that you can have an emptiness, a void. You can, you can embrace the void, the emptiness, and that's how you will be fulfilled if you're just empty. Mm-hmm. Um, but life with God isn't about emptiness. It's about being being truly filled. Yeah, And so that stopping has to do with, in some ways, and, and you've mentioned this, uh, stopping uh, and spending time with God in the midst of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what could or should a person be looking for when they stop in the midst of all of that to be with? What is stopping? Yeah, no, that's, a, look that's like? a great question. I think um, for me, it's, it's rest. Okay. It's taking the time to reflect on where you are in life, what you're chasing, what are your priorities, what should your priorities be. It reminds me of uh, kind of thinking of, okay, well, what's Ecclesiastes in the light of the gospel? And for me, it reminds me of um, Christ's call to have childlike faith. So in Matthew 18, there's this discussion between the disciples of who's the greatest mm-hmm. in the kingdom, and they're and they're kind of fighting about it, and we can imagine, they're like, well, who's going to solve this? Jesus, let's go ask him. Yeah. Right, he's gonna he's gonna have the answer of who's the greatest, and he calls a child over and puts it in the middle of the group and says, the, "This child is the greatest." And I think in their society, a child would have been viewed as property. Yeah. So imagine the humility that he's calling them to. And so I think sometimes there is that childlike faith of, "Trust me, I'm not going to give you all the details. I just want you to have faith." And I know God's been teaching me that a lot recently. Is I'm not going to tell you the details. I'm just going to tell you to have faith because I will come through and uh, you'll just, you'll get to see it along the way. Um, so that's always a cool experience. It's hard, yeah, but it's a cool experience. Well, and it seems that Solomon didn't get this um, early in his life. He didn't mm-hmm. get to this place. He wasn't practicing this on all the days of his life. It seems like this is more of a, an end of life, a later looking back reflection that he delayed too long. Mm-hmm. In fact, you, you talked about some repeated cycles um, through the first four chapters uh, that nothing is like we think it is. And he, he kind of keeps tripping over the same kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about a little about the repeated cycles maybe Solomon finds himself in or the teacher finds himself in. Mm-hmm. And how do we maybe taste the same thing in our life at times? the hevel in our lives. Taste the cycle? Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a repeated cycle. Um, kind of, if you think of our if you think of our world, right, we're always having new technology. We're always growing. 
there's more medicines, there's more technology that we're always getting our hands on. And so I think a part of us says, well, you know, society's better than it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago or Solomon's time. So, you know, maybe there is something to chasing after the win, right? And I think uh, we get stuck in these repeated cycles and trying to convince ourselves that um, something's new, right? This has never been done before. What I'm about to try has never been done before. <laughs> and uh, that's not true at all. And I actually think that's probably the enemy just saying, you yeah, know, you should try this. You should chase after this wind. It's new. It's fresh. Um, nobody's ever experienced this. Maybe it'll be the satisfaction you're looking for. Right? And then by the time we're done chasing after that, the next time there's something new, we're going to chase after that yeah. and, be, and convince ourselves again in the cycle that I think this could be it. When there's a there's a reality, there are dual realities that innovation mm -hmm. um, has the ability to change the human experience in some ways, but at the same time, at the core of the human experience, we're always dealing with the same same underlying issues. Mm -hmm. They just may flush out in different ways. It's good to have new medicines that um, that you know, I don't die every time I get a fever. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, I still have the same core issue. I have a frail body and it is not perfect and it will get sick mm -hmm. and it will break down. And so I haven't solved an issue. I've just used innovation to, to mask or to give me a little more time mm -hmm. uh, to face that same issue that I have a frail body that, that needs a deeper healing. Yeah. And we can find um, God in those things, right? We yes. can find God in medicine but we can also lose track of him. Yes. Right. Yeah. Medicine or, or anything we're talking about. Right. Um, there can be good things or we can lose. Track. I guess that's kind of the, the point here of, mm -hmm. of Ecclesiastes. Isn't that um, he'll talk about basic things like food and drink. That it's not that food and drink are bad, but losing God and food and drink is, is meaningless is mm -hmm. bad. Yeah. It's not recognizing the Lord of the harvest and the one who provides and blesses means now we're worshiping these things as an end and not using them as a, a grace or a blessing from the God who deserves the worship. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So as you've moved through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, you've kind of gotten some, some chapter breaks. The first six chapters um, talk a lot about meaningless. And then we start getting into some proverb like statements. Uh, and then and, and then there's some lessons to be learned. Talk to us about the transitions that happen as the author unpacks the teacher's experience. What are some of the lessons that we learn? Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the things that we should start considering if life is meaningless and we can get lost in it all? So what are we to do about all of that? Yeah, it is, it is an interesting um, structure of chapters because uh, like I think like you said, chapters one through six focus a lot on meaningless, Hevel, all the different things that the teacher is chasing and why he concludes that they're meaningless or why he concludes that they're hevel. And then chapter seven kind of hops into, like you said, this proverb like wisdom statements and just some really good solid statements in there about life. But it just, it, it's a different tone. It's a different, um, you know, you kind of go from this depressing conversation almost to here, let me share some wisdom with you of how to get by. And then we hop right back in to all the depressing stuff of kind well, of back to the style. So let me hop into some of the proverb statements. We'll yeah, play a game. It. I'm going to throw a okay. proverb at you and you can tell me, you know, in your experience right now, how does the Lord proving this thing true? What does it mean? Okay. So for example, 
Um, how are two better than one? Ecclesiastes 4 9. Hmm. I mean, I think that just goes to, you know, you said two are better than one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having somebody to keep you accountable, if we're talking about from a spiritual aspect, even just having somebody to talk to about all the hevel and about life and am I, is what I'm doing good? Is what I'm doing right? Should I be chasing after this? Is this from God? I think you can only really get that um, obviously through prayer, but also it's nice to have somebody to reflect with. Okay. Next one, Ecclesiastes 3.11. What does it mean that we have eternity in our hearts? We have eternity. I'll read the, the whole verse. Mm-hmm, yeah. It says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. What does it mean to have eternity in our hearts? That's a good question. I mean, I think a, my first thought is that's eternity focused. Um, not just in simply enjoying the pleasures of life and not worrying about or not thinking about eternity, what might happen, what's God's plan. Um, so I think that's, in, for me, that's just the first thought that came to mind is that would be important. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's something built into us. If we're created, we're created in the image of God. Um, we're really created to be eternal beings in the image yeah. of God. Um, death, sick and sickness and death happen as a result of the fall. Mm-hmm. I suppose if it were possible that Adam and Eve would not have rebelled, I suppose they would still be alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... But with sin comes sickness and death. Mm -hmm. And that that is not destroyed completely, that's broken in us but not obliterated, the image of God in every created person, Mm -hmm. has a resonance of we're really made to be eternal beings. There's something deep inside us that's longing for that, and that's why we're so unsatisfied with the the temporary, the here and now, because it's not belonging to that eternal nature. Yeah. Uh, here's another one for you. Mm-hmm. This one may be a little, <laughs> a little wild. This is here we go. Ecclesiastes nine four. Uh, it says, "For whoever is joined with all the living, there's hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion." Have you thought much about a live dog and a dead lion? Oh man, that's a good one. I feel like I've read about that before, but I forget. I, I, I'll get a start on this one, and yeah, I'm, go I'm off the top at this moment. I have not put any. Uh, <laughs> Really thought into it, but a dog would have been a humble creature, um, a, a dirty creature, mm, yeah. uh, not valued creature. It's not like uh, Plano and our, our fur babies and our pet hospitals on every corner, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have uh, dog sweaters. You know, we're not talking about a different culture here. Yeah. So uh, a lion, uh, on the other hand, would have been regal, powerful, a symbol of 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 the king and in most every culture, certainly mm-hmm. uh, also in, in uh, the Jewish culture. And so he says, better is a, a living dog than a dead lion. Mm. There's something here that's scratching at the idea of uh, being humble and alive. Yeah. Being lowly and alive is greater than having it all and being that symbol of power and authority and yet really being, being kind of dead on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, they're, they're, so, I mean, he's got some stuff here. Yeah. That, that just it's some heaters. And that's that a good example of like just taking the time to dive in and what, what, what a live dog 
deadline. Like, what mm-hmm. does that mean? Right. And that's where, I mean, reading that immediately, if you just skip over that, that yeah. sounds negative or just sounds like, well, I'm so confused. But if you take the time to stop and to, and to study what it's saying, it makes so much sense. Which, and go back to your story earlier about the disciples and them arguing over who's the greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three instances almost back to back to back in, in, in the gospels of them doing the same kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, of, of missing the point that Jesus is trying to put on them about who they are and they keep trying to rise. Mm-hmm. And ultimately Jesus says, you know, the greatest among you and the least, the least, the greatest. He, he says, really, he's not just speaking from his pastor's office. He's speaking from his own life. As Philippians two says, mm-hmm. he was the very image of God considered quality with God, nothing, uh, not to be grasped. And he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant. Yeah. And so Jesus says, everything is found in going low. Life is found in going low, go low with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus says, you know, servant must not be greater than his master. And Jesus said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is this, this refrain, uh, even, so so far, so many years before Jesus would come, where the teacher's picking up on some things in life uh, about power dynamics in the world yeah. and our allure or our, the allure or our um, desire to be people who are in power versus the way of the kingdom of God. Uh, and most prolifically, the king himself, Jesus, would say, uh, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Or I am, I am approachable and humble in heart, and and we have just even the traces, the foreshadowing of it here in the lessons being learned through Solomon, who was the lion, and found mm-hmm. much of his life as a dead lion, yeah. But the live dog, the, the the humility, but the life in it, being more valuable. Yeah, and I think um, you know what you were saying kind of made me think too that obviously if it was Solomon, then he just kind of had all these things. Right. But I think for, you know, for us and, and the listeners, um, I think sometimes we can, uh, you know, we can want to chase these things because we're scared. Yeah. There, there is hevel. Uh, life is confusing. Life is hard. Uh, if I'm in power, then maybe if I'm in control, then I feel like I've got a grasp on things and I feel comfortable. Uh, but the truth is we will always kind of run out of that. I love that. You talked a little bit about uh, Jesus affirming to the disciples, talking about children, the faith of a child. Uh, that's a theme I've, I've heard you touch on. Um, Jesus loves the children uh, in, in so many times is pointing uh, people to the faith of a child or bring the children to me. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about um, you have young children, you're serving in kids ministry. Um, it seems like the old and powerful, <laughs> we're the ones who are getting so lost in the hevel. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what Jesus maybe is trying to teach us uh, about, about through the lens of children, about life. Yeah, definitely. Um, am I able to quote the Jesus story? Absolutely. All right. Uh, we read that to, to Shepherd all the time, and he loves it. Um, but it goes on to say that you know, the disciples are arguing and then it talks about they had forgotten something, something God had been teaching his people all through the years, no matter how clever you are or how good you are or how rich you are or how nice you are or how important you are, none of it makes any difference because God's love is a gift. And as anyone will tell you, the whole thing about a gift is it's free. 
All you have to do is reach out your hands, take it. So that story kind of goes on to who are the best gift receivers? Children. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, they know how to take a gift from somebody, <laughs> right? Um, they know how to experience it and enjoy it. And we can struggle with that as adults. Um, so I think the um, the encouraging thing for here is uh, for children is they're open to receiving gifts and we should be too. It's not about being the most clever or the most rich or the most powerful. It's about recognizing that Jesus has given us a free gift and willingly receive it and trust in him. There, there's your attitude uh, toward the hevel. Yeah. The hevel is hevel when it uh, has a wrong place in your life. Yeah. Uh, when it is food or drink or time or relationships, when it is something that is received from God as an everyday grace, mm-hmm. it gives you a good meal. It gives you a, you know, for some of those weirdos, a nice sunny day, but for people <laughs> like you and me, a nice dark foggy day. Oh yeah. yeah that's a gift from God to be received. And yep. just you know, not that it becomes anything more than that. God, you've, you've given me just a, a touch of grace today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the attitude that you were talking about. Yeah, and there's a freedom in that, right? Um, when I have tacos for dinner for the third time or, or something, you know, something of that nature, and you're like, oh, man, I wish I, you know. Um, I think sometimes we can stress about what am I eating for dinner? Is it, is it good? Or if company's coming over, is it is it like exquisite? Is it restaurant quality? I don't know. Um, but there's a freedom in releasing and just saying, you know, thank you, God, for this food. Um, it might be the same thing. It might be something new. It might be a sunny day or a foggy day, but thank you for it. Um, and even and I think you just you come to this place where you start to appreciate the little things. You know, I'm glad that we're having this conversation. Thank you, God, for that. Um, I'm glad that I'm having this taco or just this plain sandwich right now. It's feeding me. It's nourishing me. I'm still alive. And it just changes your perspective. You stop stressing about what it should be and just appreciating what it is. And that that gives you a great picture of, of uh, the main character of Ecclesiastes, his problem for so long was he was trying to control all of those things. Yeah, He was trying to exert his control over food and drink and people. And you mentioned, you know, food. Uh, I go to a, a restaurant and order a sandwich. I really don't have control over the quality of that sandwich. Yeah. Um, I, I'm hoping it is what it looked like on the advertisement. Mm. Um, I'm hoping it tastes like I imagine it might. But I don't have control over that. In the same way, I can't control people. Uh, yeah. I can't control uh, this conversation. I can't control you. Uh, I try as I might. I cannot control my children. Uh, mm-hmm. I cannot control the quality of my marriage. Now, there's there's investment that I make in all of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that investment is something that's to be submitted to the one who has given these things or presented these things into my life. Yeah, and uh, I think the the attitude that the the main character is learning the shift that he's making is I'm going to try to control every aspect of life to satisfy myself that everything would be as I think it should be Two, I'm going to receive what the Lord has given me. I'm going to actively embrace it only as he intends for me to have it. But mm-hmm. ultimately my satisfaction is from the gift is from the giver of the gift and not the gift itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the shift that he's learning. Okay, so as you make your way towards the end of Ecclesiastes, what are the big lessons um, that he's learned? Um, how does he end? What's his his wrap-up? Uh, you say he, he began with time, and there was all the stuff he did in his days, and he ends again 
kind of, you said, brought it negative again. Talks about death. Mm -hmm. uh, how's the conclusion of Ecclesiastes sit with you? There's a very interesting poem at the end okay. um, where it's, it's really a lot about youth versus um, being elderly. And uh, it, it can kind of sound a little depressing. Oh, you should enjoy the, you should enjoy your sight before you can't see this again or, or, or things of that nature. Um, and so it does kind of have a little depressing of an end to it, I guess, and, and kind of enjoy, but um, regardless of how the teacher ends it, the author ends it with a little bit more positivity. Uh, and I see you have that statement. If you want to go ahead and read that. Yeah. And looking at the last couple of verses here, uh, it says the conclusion when all has been heard. And I suppose this is from our author um, who has been writing this, that people would learn. He's gathered people to learn. So once all of these things have been heard, the conclusion is fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or it is evil. It's the whole duty of man, every person, mm. these things. What do you what do you see in that that is helpful or hopeful? You know, I think the the part I focus on is the fear of God and keep His commandments. Um, I think that does bring us a little bit back to that childlike faith and that dependency and, and humility. <clears throat> um, you know, I think of a story in my in my own in my own life of uh, my dad used to take me to the auto show in Dallas, and as a kid, like I had no idea where we're going. Right. Um, we would drive and then stop at a dart station and get on the, the train. And then we, you know, we'd end up somewhere in downtown. I had no idea where we were. I had to fully rely on him and I had to trust that he knew where we were and he was going to take me home. Yeah. Um, and that's always stuck with me when I think of a childlike faith and fear God and keep his commandments is I'm just alone for the ride. I'm, he's taking me somewhere and I'm going to enjoy it, but I have to, take that step of humility and trust that he knows where we're going. And, and, you know, obviously my dad was always keeping me safe and, and whatnot, but um, I think sometimes God can take us through pathways. We might not choose ourselves sure. and we might be like, Oh, this is scary. I don't want to go that way, but he's going to get us to where we need to go. And I think to having that respect and, and obedience and trust that he knows what he's doing, I think is ultimate. Absolutely. Uh, I guess that that's it. It's, it's realizing while I'm active and engaged, I, I am here long for the ride when you're with your dad and you're seeing things, you're doing things, but ultimately you're in his care. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the moral of, of this story, the book of Ecclesiastes is that all of life apart from God is meaningless. Recognize God, mm -hmm. um, recognize that he is the one who's providing, guiding, leading, caring, and go with him. And that's when you begin to find satisfaction in his presence and in the things that he he gifts to you. Yeah. If we take that from a gospel perspective too, it's freeing. Yeah. Um, you know, we we basically start this life right as slaves to sin. Slaves. Mm. And uh and our master of sin is not a nice one. Yeah. Um he's full of hate and uh is not trying to make life easy. And I think when we um follow Christ and trust him fear your God and keep his commandments and we make that a priority in our life, we're going to start to see freedom. Yeah. Like we talked about earlier, that sense of, I appreciate this meal or, or this friend or, or this material object that I have, even though it's not the greatest one out there, um, that's freeing. Yeah. And we start to lose that, um, you know, 
being slaves to sin. Well, and that last verse um, is an awkward one if we're talking about hope and freedom because it talks about God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. There's a hope in God's judgment. I think the word judgment seems to be so negative and fearful for so many people. Yeah. Um, for those who are in Christ, there's a, a beauty in God's judgment. Um, essentially, what he does is he clears away all the hevel. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the hevel began because of the fall. God made everything and everything was good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then humanity turned against God and said, I can do life without God or I can be like God. And that equals hevel. Mm-hmm. That is hevel. Right away, yeah. Right away. And so a day comes when Christ returns and the promise is he clears away the hevel, the life apart from Godness of it all. For those who are in Christ, we experience what life is meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty and perfection of living in the right relationship where uh, we have with our creator and our savior, where um, those everyday things are just marks of beauty. There's no, there's no temptation and there's no more broken aspect of, of that creation. Yeah. It's just right. Yeah. And there's a, that's a, a hopeful thing to look at. And you come to the end of Ecclesiastes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Fear God, keep his commandments applies to every person because God's coming back. He'll mm-hmm. judge everything that's hidden, whether it's good or evil. That's good. That's yeah. good for those who are in Christ. Yeah, it's absolutely. very good. The hevel is gone, and now we delight. We delight in life as it was intended by our, our maker. Sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, thanks for your time today. I appreciate yeah, it. I'm I'm glad that uh, that you kind of got into this study and you began sharing with me. I hope that uh, for listeners, as you hear this and you go, Oh, what great revelation did you give me today? Probably, probably none. I mean, <laughs> I hope maybe most of all, what the walk away might be from someone is wait, our, our church hadn't studied Ecclesiastes recently. Mm-hmm. You go, Oh, but I have this beautiful word from the Lord, um, called the Bible and I can meet with him all the time and have him just pour life and wisdom and insight and and fruit into my life. And I hope people will, if nothing else, just be celebratory uh, mm-hmm. that God has made his truth so available and accessible to us. And they might be prompted to, to open, I don't know, the, the book of Zephaniah and yeah. just meet with the Lord there and mm-hmm. see what beautiful things God brings. Hey, and if you do that, if you do a study on Zephaniah or Malachi or, or, or Habakkuk, tell somebody about it. Like Zach did with me, mm-hmm. tell a, a family member or a friend, Hey, I'm, I'm studying this and God's showing me beautiful stuff or, or come and tell me. And I'd love to, to hear more about it. And maybe who knows you could be on the next episode of, but wait, there's more. So uh, thanks for being with me, Zach. I want to yeah. thank you for sharing insight and just a little bit of your story. Uh, I want to thank Dustin for mastering producing this episode today. This was fun. I hope it was helpful for someone else too. We'll see you next time. This has been, but wait, there's more. And there is more. Of course, yeah.